0: Kids, on your way in, did you get your arrows and stones? No, you didn't get arrows and stones, right? You got something else. So I'm Emily Beltram. I'm your minister of children and students. And I wanted to share a moment with the kids. So kids, can you let me know you're here? Maybe raise your hand or make a noise. Yeah. All right. So since this is a weekend where we think a lot about freedom, we thought maybe we should start out by talking about traps. So I wondered, kids, if you know anything about traps. And if you do, just raise your hand, and I will bring the microphone so you can share with us something that you know about traps, or what kind of traps you know about. Are there kinds of traps? What what can you tell me about traps? Um, you might get stuck. Yes, that is so good. You might get stuck. She knows how a trap works. Yes.
1: And you could
0: trap people. Yes, it can be scary to get stuck in a trap, and, and people don't like it when they get in traps, right? What do you got?
1: Humans use them to catch pesky things.
0: Yes, humans use them to catch pesky things. Do you know of a kind of trap?
2: Um,
0: they're scary. They're scary. Yes. Yes. Oh, I have another one back here. Don't worry, I'm going to come over there and see if anybody knows anything about traps. A
2: Chinese finger trap?
0: That is a kind of trap. It happens to be a kind of trap that, that we provided you this morning for some strange reason. <laughs> huh, what is up with that? All right, all right. Let's see here. Can you guys just tell me ty- types of traps? Tell me about a trap. So normally
2: when you're camping, you like throw your a food over a tree with a rope, and a bear tries to get it, and you trap
0: it. Oh, yeah, bear, t- we, we trap bears. They run away. Yes, and then you hope they run away. <laughs> yeah, or you run away. Trap the bear and then run away. And it can, like, trap, like, raccoons and skunks. Yeah. Kids, have any of you ever had to trap a raccoon or a skunk in your yard? Yeah, we, I've had to do that at my house. Yeah. So my trap, um, there's a pit and you cover it with leaves and then you fall in. <gasps> it's a booby trap. It's a booby trap. Yes. You have a kind of trap you want to tell us? A
1: mouse trap?
0: Yes. I am fond of mouse traps because I'm not fond, fond of mice. Yeah, so you guys, you seem to know an awful lot about traps. Which is good, which is really good, because we also provided you some of you already know this, with a finger trap. And so one of the things that I thought would be kind of fun for you to do is, and don't panic, okay? I will help you, I will help you. But if you want to, you can take your finger trap out and go ahead and see if you can get a finger stuck in it. Okay, and once you've done that, then on the other side, you can use your own finger, but it might be fun if you get somebody else's finger stuck in the other side. So go ahead and do that. Everybody got those? All right. So now I know you're not going anywhere while well, you watch this little video about what can happen when we get stuck in a trap.
1: Ah. Me, 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 me. Me, 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 me. Unique New York. Unique New York. Go! <laughs> oh. Huh? Bear? What have you done? It's a Chinese finger trap. The take it off at
2: once.
0: Um, I'm afraid I can't do that. As I was trying to explain, it's a
2: sort of puzzle. Do we have uh Mr.
1: Curry? Yes. <clears throat> Hello? Centre stage, please, Mr Curry. Um, is it okay to bring my, um, lucky charm on with me? Whatever you need. Just stand still and don't say anything. Mm -mm. I have spent my entire life alone. (laughs) Get back here. My sandwich. (laughs) Where are you going? No, 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 come back. Uh. Alone! That was close. (laughs) Oh, no! (laughs) (laughs) Alone! Why
0: did I bother believing? Stop! I've seen enough. (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't go well for us when we get stuck in a trap, does it? So, are you guys still stuck? Yeah. I so, he- got out of it, yes. you got out of it easily. All right, that's good. You guys are really smart, right? So, if you are stuck, the thing about a, a finger trap is the harder you pull, the tighter it gets. So, you have to squish your fingers together, and then that makes it fatter, so you can get your fingers out. And that's the thing is, when you have a trap, you got to have a way out, right? And the Bible actually says something about traps, too. It says in Proverbs in the Old Testament, it says, evil people are trapped by sin, but the righteous escape shouting for joy. And when we make mistakes, when we mess up, it's like this trap that holds us. But the key is to know how to get back out. And in the Old Testament, it was kind of hard and complicated to get back out of the trap of sin. But by the time Jesus came along, well, Jesus came along and gave us a new way to spring the trap because he gives us a way to not have to worry about sin so much because he'll forgive us. But here's the thing, the freedom that we have because we don't have to worry about falling in a trap that we can't get out of is what are we supposed to do with that freedom that we have? And Galatians 5.13 gives us an answer to that, and that is this. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. So Jesus has gotten us out of the trap of sin, but not just to do whatever we want. He's gotten us out of the trap of sin so that we're free to love one another well. So kids, that trap is yours to keep if you'd like so that you can remember. And thank you so much for spending a minute with me.
1: What was that, Alex?
2: I said you just passed halfway, and uh, the rope's actually looking pretty good now.
1: Yeah, pretty nice rock. I think the climbing here in Morocco, it's good training for El Cap. It's gonna make him strong, it's gonna get him good at moving through the mountains, it's gonna make him feel fit. Blowing through the mountains in the ways that you do with Alex is addicting. His attitude towards risk... ...it makes you feel kind of invincible. Which is... ...emotionally appealing. But for me, I don't think it's the smartest thing. Ah! Climbing with Alex is... It's like a vice in a way. <laughs> it's like smoking cigarettes would be here. Something's like, I don't really want to do it, but I just like let myself do it sometimes because it's kind of nice.
3: Yeah, buddy. Yo. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Hope. Uh, my name is Scott Raines. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad uh, you're joining us this holiday weekend for worship. Uh, this is, of course, the weekend that we celebrate The gift of freedom, so I thought I should preach a sermon called The Gift of Limits because nothing says freedom more than remembering the limitations that we have in our life, right? Actually, I hope by the end of the message you might actually agree with that statement. You know, at least I started off uh, my message with a movie that has the word free in the title. It's a movie called Free Solo, and free soloing is what they call it when you climb a mountain or you climb a rock wall without any ropes, because why would you want all that heavy safety equipment bogging you down when you're two or 3,000 feet above the ground, right? Uh, so Alex Honnold is one of the best free solo mountain climbers in the world. He's the first person who ever free solos El Capitan in uh, Yosemite National Park. And this is a documentary on his life and his attempt uh, to do that uh, free solo. He spends a lot of time preparing training for that free solo climb including going to morocco and doing a lot of training there with his buddy tommy caldwell and the reason i wanted to start my message with that clip is because of something tommy says right in the middle of it he says alex's attitude toward risk it makes you feel kind of invincible which is emotionally appealing it feels good uh, to feel invincible but for me i don't think it's the smartest move here's the question that i have for you as we get started What's your attitude toward risk? What's your attitude toward risk? And as you think about how you might answer that question, let's look at the best free solo mountain climber in the Old Testament, which is, of course, uh, Moses. If you have your Bibles, open up to Exodus chapter 19. Uh, We'll be hanging out in Exodus 19, the first half of the message. Uh, The people of Israel are on their way to the Promised Land. Uh, They've been delivered, rescued from bondage in Egypt. And along the way to the Promised Land, they stop at Mount Sinai. And they set up their camp at the bottom of that mountain And Moses free solos Mount Sinai, climbs to the top without any ropes, day after day after day, and at the top of the mountain, he talks to God face to face as though he were talking to a friend. And I'll start reading the story in verse 3, Exodus 19, verse 3. Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. So God's doing a couple of pretty important things in this part of the story. Number one, he's reminding the people, if you are free, it's because of me. If you are free, it's because of me. I'm the one who rescued you, I'm the one who delivered you, I'm the one who saved you. You might be tempted to give credit to your freedom to other entities or other people or other situations, but God reminds the people of Israel, if you are free, it's because of me. The second thing that we see God doing in this part of the story, it's not quite as easy to pick up on at first glance. Uh, God says to Moses, I want you to tell the family of Jacob the descendants of Israel, that they're going to be my special treasure. So remember, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob's name gets changed to Israel. He has 12 sons, one of them is Joseph. Joseph is Israel's favorite son, the other 11 brothers get jealous. You should read the Bible, a lot of really relevant stuff in there dysfunctional families that'll make you feel great about your family they sell they're so jealous they sell their brother into slavery joseph ends up in egypt where uh, he goes through a a series of hardships and, and difficulties and god is with him through it all eventually joseph becomes second in command the prime minister of the empire of egypt the biggest empire in the world at the time now All of that stuff, the Joseph story, this is happening hundreds of years, centuries before we get to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 20 is when God gives the law and the commandments, the Ten Commandments, we're going to get to there. But part of what I want you to understand, for hundreds of years, for centuries, God is building this special relationship with the Hebrew people, and there is no law. There is no commandment. It hasn't been given yet. Do you ever wonder why that is? Why does God wait until Moses to give the commandments? Why doesn't God give the commandments to Adam and Eve? Why doesn't God give the commandments to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Or when Joseph is in this important leadership position, wouldn't that have been the perfect time for God to give the commandments to let people know, here's how you live? Why does God wait? Century after century after century. Part of what we see, if we're thinking about it and paying attention, This is displaying part of the wisdom and character of God. And part of the wisdom of character of God is to always start with the relationship. God spends a really long time, centuries, developing a relationship with the Hebrew people, uh, developing relational patterns, and then God gives the law. Then God gives the commandments. But the relationship comes first. So part of what this teaches us, or should remind us, make us aware of, anytime we start talking about obedience to God's law, anytime we start talking about obedience to the commandments of God, we have to interpret those parts of Scripture through a relational lens. Let me say that again. When we start talking about obedience to God's laws and commands, we have to interpret that part of Scripture through a relational lens. In other words, a big part of what God's doing when God gives the commandments is God is telling the people, here's how you live together as my people, as a holy community. Here's how you uh, relate to one another as members of a free society. And so God's going to give the commandments to the people uh, in chapter 20. We're not quite there yet. Uh, first, we've got to keep going through uh, chapter 19. So uh, God says, Moses, most of the time I want you to come up on the mountain. I will talk to you you go down the mountain and you tell the people what I said, thus saith the Lord. But when I give the commandments to the people, God says, I want to change it up a little bit. And I'm going to come down the mountain to the people so that they will hear me. Can we just call time out there for a second? Does God need to come down a mountain in order for people to hear God's voice? Can't God speak from the top of the mountain and we'd hear him just fine? Can't God speak from Canada, and people in the Middle East would hear the voice of God? Can't God speak from heaven, and everyone all over the world would be able to hear the voice of God? God does not need to come down a mountain in order for people to hear him. So maybe God is up to something more in this story, and as we keep reading through it, we actually see this is the case. So God says to Moses, you have three days, three days to prepare for my arrival. On the third day, I'm going to be coming down the mountain given the commands. So God says in verse 12, mark off a boundary all around the mountain, warn the people, be careful, do not go up on the mountain or even touch its boundaries. God's making a boundary. God is placing a limit around the boundary. And then if you were paying attention to our Bible reading, after this, God says, really terrible, awful, bad things will happen to you if you don't honor the boundary, if you test my limit. This is why it's so important for us to interpret all of this through a relational lens. Because if you pull what's happening in Exodus 19 out of uh, the context of relationship, God looks controlling, God looks abusive, God looks violent, but through a relational lens, What we see God doing when He warns the people, He tells them to be careful. We got boundaries here, we got limits here. This is like a loving parent wanting to make sure the children do not get hurt. On the third day, God's going to come down the mountain. And I want to read to you how the Bible describes it. And I, I really want you to imagine what this scene must have looked like, what it must have sounded like what it must have felt like in your body if you were there, what what it would have tasted and smelled like as God comes down Mount Sinai. This is Exodus chapter 19, I'll start in verse 16. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. That's a pretty powerful display of the transcendent holiness of God. And Moses has gathered all the people there at the bottom of the hill. There's this boundary that God has marked off. And one of the things I hope you notice, as you read through the story, there's not one silly person in all the Israelite camp who says, I know God has this boundary and this limit here. And God says, don't cross it, but I'm just going to test it. I'm just going to dart across that boundary and see if anything bad really. Nobody does that. Everybody honors and respects the limit that God has placed. They're trembling with fear. You turn the page to chapter 20. God gives the Ten Commandments. And after God gives the commandments, the people turn to Moses and they say, we don't ever want to have to do that again. We like it when you go up to the top of the mountain to talk to God. You just come down and tell us what God says. We don't need to be that close to God. We don't need to hear God's voice and, and see God like that. It's a little too scary for us. You go up and then you come down. Being that close to God feels a little too risky to the people of israel and this is how moses responds to them exodus chapter 20 verse 20 it's on the screen read it out loud with me don't be afraid moses answered them for god has come in this way to test you so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning i asked you earlier in the message what's your relationship with risk what's your attitude toward risk I think about how I would answer that question for myself. I, at first glance, I would say I am very risk averse. I, I don't have a thrill-seeking bone in my body. I know a lot of you are super adventurous and uh, X Games and UFC and all that fun kind of stuff. You want to jump out of airplanes and go do that, right? Uh, that's not me. But I'm guessing all of us, every single one of us, we've got a lot of risky business in our life when we put it in the context of what's being talked about here in Exodus 19 and 20. God's marking a boundary. I'm going to come down the mountain. I don't want you to cross this boundary. There's a limit here. I'm going to give you the commands. If you obey them, you'll be my special treasure. And the people are trembling. The people are freaking out because God is just so big and powerful and awesome. And Moses' summary of the whole thing is, here's why this is happening. So that your fear of God will keep you from sinning. I don't need a show of hands. But has anybody sinned already today? Has anybody sinned in this holiday weekend? Or maybe you're planning on sinning later tonight. (laughs) Can you think of a time in your life when you crossed a boundary that you knew God had set? A limit that God had placed in your life and you said, eh, I'm going to do it anyway feels good i like gossiping i like saying things about people when they're not in the room that i would never say about them if they were in the room right next to me and could hear it god has these limits that god places in our life because god loves us god doesn't want us to get hurt god doesn't want us to hurt others and moses is saying maybe it's your fear of god that will keep you from sinning other places in Scripture says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, last week in my message, I talked a little bit about the part of our brain called the amygdala, and part of the job of the amygdala is to sense fear. It's a threat detector. The amygdala is what uh, keeps us from doing, you know, outrageous things that maybe look kind of fun, but we could get hurt if we do it. This guy, Alex Honnold, is climbing mountains without a rope. Stuff that we would say, that is dangerous, that is scary, I would never do it. And and somebody says, I wonder if his amygdala is functioning properly. And so there's a part of the movie where they hook him up to an MRI machine to test his brain. Take a look.
0: John Backer was a pioneer of so-called free solo climbing. He fell to his death this past week at the age of 52.
1: We're sorry to have to report on the death of U.S. climate Sean Leary sean was killed in utah and was found a couple of days ago
3: Derek hersey was climbing in yosemite valley his body was found saturday morning
1: hersey climbed as usual alone without ropes most people that are pushing the limits they have this mentality of screw it whatever happens happens I think all the soloing he's done has trained his mind. He doesn't get emotionally affected by it the way that a lot of people do. And not knowing about the science of that is that's probably a product of
2: your past more than it is just a genetic thing. There's been a lot of speculation about like how I deal with fear and like, how I'm able to free soul. People are just like, oh, well, he must be a thrill seeker. There must be something defective. So the writer contacted me about doing an MRI. I thought it's kind of cool just to go get an MRI and like see what's actually going on. You know, scan your brain and then see if it's all there structurally. We're gonna start the task
1: now. Remember to press the button every time you see a new picture come up, okay? Okay.
2: We'll see, maybe it turns out on some kind of freak creature or something. I've had several ex-girlfriends say that I had their personality disorders or things like that. There's something wrong with me. Emotionally stable. Agree. Ingenious, a deep thinker. <laughs> Disagree. Tends to find fault with others. They agree somewhat. Climbing a steep mountain would be too scary for me. I have trouble controlling my impulses. <laughs> is depressed. Hmm. Is my, is my brain intact?
1: Your brain's intact, and it's, it's quite interesting. Those little two dots that are further towards the top of the screen, that's the amygdala. So an interesting thing, do you have no activation in your amygdala?
2: There's just not much going on in my brain, it seems. No. <laughs> uh, do you think my amygdala actually just doesn't work or something?
1: Your amygdala works. It's just that it needs a much higher level much of stimulation. Stimulus. Things that are typically stimulating for most of the rest of us are not really doing it for you.
2: Maybe my amygdala is just
3: tired, you know, from too many years of being all gripped. Maybe. I I think it's just fascinating. His amygdala works just fine. It just takes a lot more stimulation before he has that sensation of fear. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I, I think the key word there is beginning. A, as we mature in our faith, as we grow in our faith, as we, we keep on following after the ways of God, there's a transition that takes place in our life. And our motivation shifts from fear of the bad things, the negative consequences that'll happen to me, it, our motivation becomes love. This is kind of, we talk about this occasionally around here. This is the difference between compliance and obedience. Compliance is I will respect the boundaries, I will honor the limits, I will uh, follow the rules because I fear the negative consequences if I break the rules. That's compliance. There's a time and place for it. It's kind of what Moses is talking about in Exodus uh, 19 and 20. The fear of the Lord will keep you from sinning. But growth and maturity leads to obedience, which is very different than compliance. Remember what Jesus says in the Gospels. If you love me, if you love me obey my commandments and one of jesus followers john will write later on in the new testament there is no fear in love perfect love casts out fear if we still fear it's for fear of punishment so as we follow after god as we live within the boundaries that god sets for our lives we experience god's love for us and that helps us get to a place where i'm going to obey because i trust the one who is setting the boundaries and Placing these limits in my lives loves me and has my best interests in mind, wants me to experience the fullness of life. One of the ways we can experience the fullness of life God has for us is by embracing the gift of limits. Now this verse in Galatians chapter 5:13 maybe helps with this. "You've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. The more we live by faith, the freer our lives become. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Part of what Paul, who writes Galatians, is saying here, there's an immature way of defining, thinking about, understanding freedom. And there's a mature way of thinking about freedom. Uh, Immature way of thinking about freedom is freedom means I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, however long I want to. That's freedom, baby. But a mature way of thinking about and understanding and defining freedom It looks very different. And Jesus kind of models for us this mature way of thinking about freedom. You look at Jesus' life, Mark chapter 1, kind of early on in his ministry, he heals a man in a village called Capernaum. And pretty soon the word spreads throughout that town Jesus has healed this guy. They start bringing person after person after person to Jesus who needs to be healed, and Jesus heals them. The next day, They want Jesus to just kind of stay. We've got more people, more work for you to do. Be our local celebrity pastor, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I got to go to other towns. I got to go to other villages. That's why I came. In Luke chapter six, Jesus is uh, up all night praying. And then he picks his 12 disciples. He forms his team. He limits himself to 12. There were a lot more people who wanted to be a part of that inner circle, but Jesus limits himself to 12 disciples, which means he has to say no and disappoint a bunch of people he's pretty close with. In John chapter 5, Jesus goes to a place called the Pool of Bethesda, and uh, sort of the belief around the Pool of Bethesda is occasionally an angel from heaven would come down and stir up the waters of that pool, and if you were in need of healing, if you could be in the water when the angel is stirring it, then you would be healed. So crowds of people are at the pool of Bethesda, the scriptures tell us. And Jesus shows up. And he makes his way through the entire crowd, goes to one person and heals that one person. Somebody says, as you read through this story of the pool of Bethesda in John 5, it's almost like you have to imagine Jesus tiptoeing over and around and through a bunch of people, a crowd of people who are all in need of healing. And Jesus says no to all of them. And he limits his healing power to just one person in this story. John chapter 12, he's at the home of Lazarus, who is just raised from death to life. And Lazarus' sister Mary is there. She's got an expensive bottle of perfume. She breaks it open and pours it over Jesus' feet. And Judas is there. Judas, who is the one who will betray Jesus, he's also the treasurer of the group. And Judas is super upset by what's happening. Uh, so disappointed in jesus behavior we could have taken that perfume sold it and used the money to serve the poor part of what we see when we when we look at jesus life his his ministry in its entirety we see this broad and mature understanding of freedom because jesus embraces the limits that god is placing on him He, he he doesn't view freedom as doing whatever i want whenever i want but he he Views freedom as living within the limitations that God gives him. So limits for Jesus gives him the freedom to say no to people. Some of you need the freedom to say no to some people in your life. Some events in your life. Some work in your life. Limits give Jesus the freedom to disappoint people. Even people really close to him. And limits give Jesus the freedom to focus on what matters most, to focus on what God is asking of him. And so at the end of Jesus' life, the night before he is crucified, John chapter 17, it's a prayer of Jesus. In part of Jesus' prayer, he summarizes his life. Let's read this out loud together. Read it with me. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Look at this phrase, completing the work. When's the last time you said, yeah, I'm done, nothing else to do, uh, answered every email, every task on my to-do list today. We're always like, there's more to do, there's more to do. Jesus says, I completed the work God gave me to do. He says it with confidence, even though there are plenty of people who are still sick and dying when Jesus says this. There are a whole bunch of people who do not believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and he says, I completed the work God gave me to do. Plenty of people who have needs that are not being met, and Jesus says, my work here is done. Jesus embraces the gift of limits. We live in a world, we live in a culture that really struggles to do this. Some of you are in this room right now, and you you are not present because you're thinking about everything you have to do to get ready for the big 4th of July thing that you're having all the plans and all the people that you have to take care of. some of you can't be present in the middle of a holiday weekend because you're already thinking about Tuesday when you go back to work and everything that you have to do it's so important for followers of Jesus Christ to embrace the gift of limits And part of the way we learn to embrace the gift of limits is we discern what are the limits that we actually do have in our lives, these God-given limits. How do we discern these limits? There are three uh, ideas that I have for you. Number one, you've got to know yourself. What's your personality? Who has God created you to be? Uh, Your identity. And so some of you are extroverted, some of you are introverted. There's different limitations that go along with that. Some of you are detailed planners. Some of you are super spontaneous. That creates different limitations for each of you. Our parents, one of the things we say to our kids all the time, uh, you you can be whatever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. There's no limits. It's not exactly true. But in our defense, here's why we say this to our kids. We know there are a lot of false limitations that get placed on our kids. And so we try to encourage our kids, you can blast right through false limitations, glass ceilings, don't pay attention to that. You can do whatever you want to do, you can be whatever you want to be when it comes to false limitations. At the same time, our responsibility as parents is to help our kids understand God-given limitations in their life. So, for example, Kyle was up here uh, singing a lot of the songs, leading us in worship. I'm here preaching. If we swapped, and I tried to do what Kyle is doing, and Kyle tried to do what I'm doing, you would not like what you hear. It doesn't make sense for me to try to live Kyle's life, or vice versa. It doesn't make sense for our kids to try to live somebody else's life. And so part of our job as parents is to tell them, you cannot be whatever you want to be. Um, that Remember American Idol? And all these family members who said, you're a great singer. Go try out for American Idol. And you're like, you can't sing at all. What? You, you cannot do whatever you want to do. And you cannot be whatever you want to be. You have limitations. And we need to embrace those, which also means figuring out who God has created us to be. Don't live somebody else's life. It's true for kids. It's true for adults. Stop trying to keep up with the Joneses. Live the life God is asking you to live. It's a way of discerning limits. Season of life is another way of discerning limits. When our family moved to Ankeny, um, we had five kids and the oldest was seven. Let me say that again. (laughs) Maybe maybe I'm more of a risk taker than I thought. We had five kids and the oldest was seven. And we weren't here for very long before a woman in the congregation said to us, did you know there's a, a ministry that does free, that gets my attention, free five-day spiritual retreats for pastors and spouses so we signed up for that baby it was in the middle of February in a log cabin in the middle of uh, Wisconsin somewhere and we went to that and they cooked for us we didn't have to do dishes Uh, they said all you really need to do is rest we've got some books you can read if you want to cassette tapes because it was a long time ago cassette tapes you can listen to if, if you want to Uh, But mostly we just want you to rest. In the middle of the day, over the noon hour, there was a two-hour guided conversation with the other pastors and spouses who were there. But Wendy and I slept for 17 hours a day, those five days. (laughs) It it, It was a realization that we are pushing the limits of what is sustainable in our life. And we knew we needed this rest, and as we were getting ready to come home, uh, the people who were running the retreat said, we really encourage you to figure out how to keep this rhythm of rest in your life, and and Sabbath keeping, pick a day a week where you're just going to rest. Well, I work weekends, Monday's my day off, and so we said, let's make Monday our our Sabbath day, and we will, you know, read, and we will uh, reflect on the goodness and faithfulness of God, and, you know, we'll just, it'll be restful and peaceful, and uh, we had five kids, seven and under, so most of them were home. We'll include them in our Sabbath keeping. So Monday rolls around, and it was the most miserable day of our lives because the season of life we were in, that's not the time to try to be quiet and meditative and reflecting with five kids, seven and under, when, when you're out. Now, last week, kid number five turned 16. Mondays look very different today than they did 15, 16 years ago. And Wendy and I look forward to Mondays, and we read, and we talk about what God is uh, talking to us about and how God is changing us. And it's super, it's the best day of the week. But there was a season where that could not happen. This church is filled with a lot of young families. And you are in a season of life, like when you came into worship today, some of you forgot that we didn't have hope kids. And you said, shh darn. <laughs> because you, you're, you, you're right at the limit. And so one of the best gifts I can give you is just to acknowledge that you may be in a season of life where there's a lot of things. You just It would not be wise for you to try to do it. That season will not last forever. Those of you who are done with that season, can I get an amen? The season will not last forever. Uh, so just be Understand the limits that you have based on the season of life. Some of you are done raising kids, and now you have aging adults, that you're, uh, parents, that you're taking care of. Season of life leads to all kinds of different limitations in our life. We've got to pay attention to them. Life situation, one final one. So uh, a month ago, we were up in Minnesota. Our oldest son graduated from college, and after the graduation ceremony, we were having dinner with some of his fellow graduates and, and their families. And I was having trouble finding a place to park, so I dropped the family off. I went to park, and their family's waiting for me. I'm walking to catch up with where they are. And one of the kids was like, hurry up, Dad, just run. And so I thought it would be funny if I just took off running as fast as I possibly can, you know, right at them. And I mean, I was flying. I was this combination of Carl Lewis and Forrest Gump (laughs) for like 10 steps. And then I felt something pop in my right hamstring. And for the next two weeks, I had this huge purple bruise back here as a reminder of my limitations. (laughs) There was maybe a time in my life when I could have gotten away with that, but no longer. God gives us these gifts and limitations and sets boundaries and gives us the law and the commandments because God wants us to play in the sandbox of safety. Not hurt ourselves, not hurt the people around us, and experience the very best kind of life. This idea of the gift of limits comes from a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality written by a guy named uh, Pete Scazzaro and his wife, Jerry. They pastored a church in New York City for a couple of decades. They write this book. um, This fall, Pastor Ashley is putting together a class on Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Uh, we're also having Alpha. Go ahead and clap if you've taken Alpha here at Hope. Yeah, a lot of people have taken Alpha. If you've already taken Alpha and you're wondering, what, what could I do next? Maybe Pastor Ashley's class on emotional healthy spirituality would be just what you need this fall. Part of what Pete Scazzaro says in the chapter on the gift of limits. When we don't respect God's limits in our lives, we will often find ourselves overextended, stressed, and exhausted don't need a show of hands. If you ever find yourself overextended, stressed, and exhausted, it's time to embrace the gift of limits. One of the things I find kind of interesting about this movie, Free Solo, as reckless and dangerous and scary as all of this stuff looks to me, Alex Honnold actually is doing this. He's, he's respecting some limitations along the way. He says several times, I, I may not do it. I've got this itch. I think I could do it. I kind of want to do it, but I may not. And if it's not me, that's fine. Somebody else will be the first one to free solo Cap. But he keeps thinking about it. He makes plans. He trains. He prepares. Um, he takes extensive notes. In his mind, he's able to make every move of, of what the climb would take before he even tries it. Uh, but one time, he, you know, he doesn't just run right up to and start climbing. He's, he's planning, preparing. He starts to uh, free solo at one time, gets a little bit and says, nope, not today. He goes slowly enough to to pay attention to his limitations, and it actually sets him free to accomplish and to live uh, his best kind of life. Take a look.
1: did the karate kick. He's got it. I can't believe you guys actually can watch. Oh, I don't
3: wanna I don't I don't
1: that's kind of exposed right
2: there. Oh my god, it's so exposed. That aret move as he stepped around has got to be, I mean that's like one of the most exposed moves, like any one El Cap. You just step out and it all drops away.
1: Alex is having the best day of his life. Uh, I don't know.
2: Not me. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah, no, this is it. I don't, we don't need to do this again.
3: My favorite part of that scene is watching all of you. <laughs> and it's really easy to tell, uh, you know, what your relationship with risk is as I watch you watch that clip. Uh, good news. You do not have to live Alex Honnold's life. You have to live the life that God has for you. A life that has a future and a hope, a, a God's will for you that is good and perfect and pleasing as you embrace the limits that God gives you so that you can be out of God's love for you, the person God created you to be. We remember that love when we come to the Lord's table and we remember it was the night he was betrayed. Jesus was having a meal with his closest friends. He took some bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples and said, "Take and eat." This is my body given for you. Eat this and remember me when you eat it. Later in the meal, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for you and for all people for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink this and remember me when you drink it. Let's stand and let's pray together the prayer Jesus taught his followers to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done